0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to be reading from verse 1 through 17. Let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open throughout the sermon this morning. We'll be jumping around a little bit in Matthew's gospel, but I'm going to read for us Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez. And Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amminadab, And Amminadab, the father of Nation. And Nathan, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh the father of Amos. And Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shelatiel, and Shelotiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiod, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Akim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen. And Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Merry Christmas. What a joy it is to worship the Lord on Christmas Day. It's always a wonderful occasion when Christmas Day follows on the Lord's Day. And so today we do remember the coming of Christ, the Christ who was born in Bethlehem to the Virgin Mary, placed in a manger and announced by angels to the shepherds. The Gospel of Luke, with Pastor Josue read for us this morning, gives us the most detailed description of that first Christmas, most likely recording the memories directly from the mouth of Mary herself. Our familiarity with this Christmas story can create some challenges, though. Along with this sort of quaint retelling of the events that we remind ourselves of this year, it can unintentionally, because we're so familiar with it, it can obscure the identity of who that baby was that was born in that manger and placed in that manger. We have to remind ourselves that Jesus was no ordinary baby. Though he was truly human in every way, he was also truly God. The baby Jesus is God enfleshed. That's the miracle of Christmas, the wonder of Christmas. God himself has come to us in Jesus. That baby Jesus is God incarnate. He's the son of Mary, but he's the son of God. The coming of Jesus marks the fulfillment of all of God's promises, his plans heralded in the Old Testament from the law and the prophets. So if you've been with us at Redemption Church these last few weeks, we have spent those last few weeks walking through the narrative of the Old Testament, considering all the promises that God has made, all the promises that find their yes, that find their fulfillment in Jesus's coming. So we started in Genesis, if you remember, where you begin, book of beginnings. And we saw that how Jesus is the better Adam. He is the one who would come from the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and that God's blessing for the world and for his human creatures would come through the children of Abraham. That would be the one, the son who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And then we moved into the Exodus and we saw that God, through his prophet Moses, brought his enslaved people out of Egypt and he made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. But yet we saw that Deuteronomy, though, ends with the expectation of a better Moses to come. And then we move to the development of Israel's monarchy and the glorious promise that God made to King David in 2 Samuel 7 that his dynasty would endure forever. And yet we saw that the monarchy of Israel ultimately fails and leaves us longing and waiting for a better David, a better king to come. And then we studied the prophets, how the failure of the monarchy led to the people's exile and the prophetic expectation and promises that God began to bring to his people, that a Messiah would come, who would be a new Israel, who would become a better Israel. Today on this Christmas morning, I want to take you through the gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew's gospel, we find all of those threads I just mentioned. Interlaced as Matthew intentionally composes his gospel to show us how Jesus fulfills all of those promises that God has made to his people. As we look carefully at the text, I pray that we will understand the significance and the wonder of just who this baby is that was born on Christmas morning. So first, let's remind ourselves how Christ is the better Adam. He is the better Adam. Matthew intentionally opens up his gospel as a new Genesis. He calls back to the very first book of the Bible in his opening line in a very similar way to the way the apostle John does in the opening of his gospel. Look at Matthew chapter one, verse one. Look at what it says. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's a little obscure in our English translations, but the the opening two words translate as the book of Genesis. (laughs) That's what it means. It's the book of genealogy. It's the book of Genesis. By doing so, Matthew's showing us that there's a new creation happening here. There's a new beginning. The birth of Jesus marks the coming of the new Adam, a new humanity coming of the better Adam, Jesus Christ. So Adam, we remind ourselves, corrupted God's perfect world through his sin. And we've all sinned with Adam. And it is the new Adam, Jesus, who will restore God's creation as he dies without sin. Adam rebelled against the word of God. Jesus fulfills and obeyed every one of God's words. And when the first Adam led to death for all men, It is the new man, Jesus, who leads to life for all men. So though Jesus is Israel's savior, Matthew frames his gospel by pointing to the cosmic renewal that the better Adam will bring, that he has brought. Matthew begins his gospel by marking this new creation. The end of his gospel with the great commission marks the starting point of this new creation as he talks about the worldwide authority of Jesus. The new Adam says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so the cosmic renewal begins through the reign of Christ as he sends out his disciples at the end of the gospel to make disciples of all nations. And so by the authority of Christ and through the progeny of the better Adam, the church, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. As Jesus sends his disciples and as we go out in his name as the new humanity and the new Adam, Jesus fills the earth and subdues it, fulfilling God's initial mandate to Adam. When we look at that baby Jesus, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus coming marks God's undoing of the consequences of Adam's fall. He comes to rule and to reign as far as the curse is found. Jesus is the promised new Adam, the one born of woman who would crush the head of the serpent once and for all and fully restore God's creation under Jesus's authority. Church, Jesus is the better Adam. But Jesus is also the better David. He's the better David. This is the main thrust of Matthew's opening of his gospel He emphasizes that Jesus is the better David. In the genealogy that Matthew gives of Jesus's life, he he shows us that Jesus is the promised king who would fulfill the covenant that God had made with David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God promised David an enthronement forever, and it is Jesus who is the one from David's lineage who will reign forever. So Matthew emphasizes this in his genealogy and he does so with incredible force, so much so that it's nigh impossible to miss, at least if you read Greek or know a little bit about Hebrew, right? Matthew structures the genealogy in three sections of 14 generations. The first section starts with Abraham and ends with David. The second section starts with David and ends with Jeconiah and the deportation To Babylon, and the third section starts with Jeconiah and ends with Christ. So Matthew's genealogy is structured by passing members of David's uh, four members of David's dynasty to emphasize the number fourteen. So in other words, the genealogy doesn't include everybody in Jesus's line, but but Matthew constructs it to show this number fourteen. Now Matthew is using a Jewish technique called gematria. With this technique, we're going to have to do some math this morning, so hang in there with me, okay? With, with this technique, each letter of the alphabet corresponds to a number, all right? So Matthew uses the Hebrew alphabet here. So for, for Matthew, for example, A would equal 1, right? B would equal 2, C would equal 3. You see how that works? So he uses the alphabet, and so he uses the Hebrew alphabet in David's name. David's name is spelled with three Hebrew letters, Dalet, Vav, and Dalet. So using the gematria corresponding each letter with a number, if you were to take David's name and put it into a math equation, you would have four, Dalet, Vav, six, Dalet, four. Four plus six plus four equals 14. There you go. So the number 14 was a symbol of David. And that's why Matthew constructs his genealogy here in chapter one in this way to show us that Jesus is the new David. He's the better David. He's the promised one to come. And in case we happen to miss it and we miss the whole Gematria thing, Matthew makes it explicit for us in verse 17. Read verse 17 again. So all the generations from Abraham to David We're 14 generations from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So why did did Matthew use this technique in his writing? Well, it's a way to draw our emphasis and our focus, our attention. Remember, Matthew didn't have Microsoft Word. You can't bold. You can't italicize. You can't use a header, right? You can't use a hashtag. Those weren't invented yet right? So it was a way that he could draw the reader's attention to the significance of his points. And so our writing today is so much more visually oriented, but this structure emphasizes that Jesus is the promised Christ. And with the writing of this genealogy, Matthew is underlining, he's highlighting, he's putting in all caps, David is here. This is him. Number 14, Jesus is the promised one of David. The anointed one has come. David's long awaited son has now finally arrived. The kingdom of God comes when the king comes and the king comes on Christmas morning. And it is through Jesus that God mediates his authority to us. Jesus is the better David. He is the sinless David. Jesus is without sin, without adultery, without fault, without murder. Jesus exercises his rule in complete obedience to his father, and everyone under Jesus' authority receives blessing under his rule. The birth of Jesus marks the coming of the new and better David. Third, Jesus is the better Israel. In those opening chapters of Matthew, Jesus is presented as just this Jesus is the true son of Abraham, the true son of Israel who is faithful and obedient to the Lord. And so as Matthew retells the history of Jesus's early years, Matthew does so intentionally to show the parallels between Israel's history and Jesus's biography. So go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus flies to Egypt for safety, just like Jacob and his sons flew to Egypt And the famine and Matthew chapter two, verse 16, just as Pharaoh murdered the baby boys of Israel in Egypt, so does Herod kill all the male babies in Bethlehem. See the parallels between Jesus's biography and Israel's history. Matthew chapter three, verse 13, Jesus's baptism is presented as a new Exodus with Jesus passing through the waters to fulfill all righteousness Just like Israel crossed the Red Sea. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus is tempted 40 days in the wilderness, just as Israel wandered 40 years in the wilderness. In other words, Matthew is trying to show us in these opening chapters that Jesus is the true son of Abraham. He is the true Israel. All these parallels from Jesus's life to Israel's history make the connection that Jesus is the promised son of Abraham who would fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. God had promised Abraham that through his lineage, his people would be many, They would dwell in the promised land and that the world would be blessed through him. But as we've seen these last few weeks over the old Testament, we see glimmers of hope of fulfillment of this covenant, but Israel's waywardness, their rebelliousness prevents this covenant from being complete. God preserves Israel's life. They grow in number, but they are not in the promised land. They're enslaved in Egypt. So God rescues them out of Egypt. He brings them into the promised land, but they're stiff-necked. Even still, God brings them in. But even once they're in the promised land, they refuse to obey their king. They refuse to obey God. And even when demanding a king, the kings lead Israel astray. And so instead of worldwide blessing for all the nations, Israel receives God's judgment and they're exiled. But Jesus is the new and better Israel. He fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus will create for himself one new people a numerous people made up of Jew and Gentile called the church who will be made up of every tribe, every language, every nation. And Jesus brings his people into the promised land to the new heavens and to the new earth where his church will dwell with him for all eternity. And Jesus brings global blessing as he is the savior of all people. And he will bring cosmic renewal in heaven and on earth. And then fourthly, we see Christ as the better Moses, the better Moses. Matthew shows us that Jesus is a new Moses as well. Like Moses, Jesus is saved from Herod's slaughter. In Matthew chapter five, verse one, look at what it says. It's the start of the Sermon on the Mount. We see Jesus go up on the mountain, which is a direct quotation from the Greek Septuagint of the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 19, verse three. As Jesus goes up to give his sermon on the mount, Matthew says, Here's the new Moses going up to the mountain. There, sitting on that mountainside, is the new Moses who's teaching from his Mount Sinai, giving his d- disciples the divinely authorized interpretation of the law, given none other than the lawgiver himself, telling us what the law means. Jesus is the final prophet. He is the one promised from Deuteronomy 18 who would be not just like Moses, but better than Moses. Jesus tells us that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And by his miracles and the wisdom of this prophecy, Jesus proves himself to be the son of God as he exceeds Moses in his miracles and in his wisdom. In Matthew chapter 17, we see Matthew, uh, Jesus go up to the mountain like Moses and is transfigured and is radiant in glory and to bear the witness to his identity as the son of God who shows up Moses and Elijah, the prophetic witness, all testifying to Jesus's unique role as a son. And in case the disciples missed it, which they were a little thick headed, the father speaks to make it really clear. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is the prophet. This is the new Moses. Jesus is the definitive prophet. He is the final word from God, the word fleshed, He is the better Moses. So on that first Christmas morning, when Mary gave birth to the son of God, remember the true identity of that baby. Remember all the promises that God has had made that now find their yes, their fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus is the better Adam, the new man who will create a new redeemed humanity who will lead us out of death into life. And Jesus is the better David a perfect and righteous king who will bring worldwide blessing through his kingdom. And Jesus is the better Israel. He is the obedient son who obeys the law and fulfills the covenant God had made with Abraham. And Jesus is the better Moses. He is the prophet who speaks for God. Why? Because he is God. On this Christmas morning, do you recognize the identity of this Jesus? the promised Messiah who has entered into the world to undo Adam's failure, to redo Israel's mission, to fulfill Moses's law and to exceed David's rule. In dealing with Adam's failure, he takes on our sin. He takes on our shame on the cross. As the only man who was unstained by sin, Jesus alone qualifies as the one sacrifice for sin. And so Jesus goes to the cross to heal us from the disease of sin and to expunge our sinful nature. And so Jesus assumes our humanity to redeem our humanity. At the cross, Jesus takes the wrath of God that all of our sins deserved, and he redeems us. And he makes us a part of a new humanity conformed into the image of Jesus himself. To redo Israel's mission, he was obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. While Israel rebelled against the Lord and his word, and we do the same, Jesus obeyed. He obeyed. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus gave to his father absolute obedience and achieved by his own merit an unblemished righteousness and holiness. To fulfill Moses' law, he died in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus dies for our sins because that's what the scriptures demand for sin. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus took our deserved death on his own shoulders that we did not deserve it. He did it in our place as our substitute so that we can have eternal life. Jesus satisfies the demands of God's law and justice, therefore therefore justifying any sinner who turns from their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And to exceed David's rule, he rose from the grave. Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose again as the triumphant king. Because of his innocence, the father vindicates his son. And by the death of Christ, death was defeated. And by the resurrection of Christ, the king is enthroned forever. The God-man is the resurrected God-king who rules and reigns now at the father's right hand and who will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. And now his kingdom is advancing by the power of his spirit at work in his church, as the gospel goes forth to the ends of the earth and to the nations. And the King is coming soon to reign on earth with his saints for all eternity and glory, joy, and bliss forever. It is this Jesus that we have gathered to worship this Christmas morning. Do you believe in him? Friend, if you are lost in your sins this morning, hear the good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas. Jesus has come to make you newly human. Jesus has come to be your king. Jesus has come to be your obedience. Jesus has come to be your righteousness. So humble yourself before him. Humble yourself this morning before this Jesus that I have presented before you. Turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and gladly make him the Lord of your life as you submit to him by faith to his gracious and benevolent rule. What better time to receive salvation than on Christmas morning? Repent and put your faith in Jesus this morning. And church, may we not forget the true identity of that baby boy born in Bethlehem. It's familiar to us. We hear it all the time. We, we watch it in movies. We sing about it in songs. It's familiar. But don't let the familiarity rob you from the wonder of what God has done. The arrival of Jesus marks the fulfillment of all God's promises. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Together, may we go and see lying in the manger, this baby, this Jesus, may we worship him. For on that first Christmas morning, swaddled in clothes is the hope of all of Israel. Nay, not just Israel the hope of the world. For in that manger lay the better Adam, the better David, the better Israel, the better Moses. Oh, come let us adore him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you have come to save us from our sins. Lord, we confess that we would be helpless without you. We would be lost in darkness, but Lord, you have come to rescue, to save, to illuminate darkened hearts. Lord, we praise you for your coming. Lord, you are the better Adam, the better David, the better Israel, the better Moses. Lord, we bow down and worship you this morning. Lord, I do pray for all who are here who may not know this Jesus. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them as they turn from their sins and put their faith in Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.